Welcome to Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We have um, a special day today. I think we have six people that are going to be uh, water baptized today. And that's exciting. This is one of those firsts for us as a church. And it's exciting to see people go forward and step forward. And we have... um, we have some young ones that are getting baptized, and we have some older people that are getting baptized. And praise the Lord. Just being obedient to what God has called us to do. And uh, But before we get into this morning's message, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move out of uh, the Gospel of Matthew this morning and have another message for us. And we're going to incorporate this baptism into our, our whole service this morning. And so uh, I'm going to have a shorter message, and then we're all going to go out and change, and then we'll come back in for the, uh, not all of you, just those that are getting baptized. We'll go out and, and uh, come back in for the baptism. Uh, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, I just come before you this morning, and I thank you, uh, Lord, for bringing us to your house, to this place, Lord. And we're here to glorify you in all that we do. Lord, in in our word, in our conversation with one another, Lord, as we uh, have this baptism today, Lord, that it would just bring uh, joy, Lord, to all of us that are here, Lord, as we uh, are seeing uh, these people, Lord, that are stepping forward, Lord, in obedience to you. And Father, that you would bless, Lord, our time this morning as a church. And even the fellowship afterwards, the time that we spend together, bless it, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, I'm going to step away from Matthew's gospel. And this morning, I'm going to share really about evangelism, but I'm also going to share a little bit about baptism. I titled this morning's message, What Hinders Me From Being Baptized? And when it comes to water baptism, there's a lot of uh, confusion might be one word, but there's a lot of different, uh, uh, different thinkings about water baptism from various denominations and, and, and different groups that are out there. Some people think that you have to be water baptized to be saved. I don't see that in Scripture. Uh, Some people uh, believe that uh, we should sprinkle our children uh, when they're babies, that it has some kind of sanctifying grace and that it kind of protects them uh, when they're they're infants like that. And I don't see that also in Scripture. Uh, Today, though, uh, we're going to look a little bit at what baptism is, what it means, what it, what it really, uh, what's the purpose of water baptism? We also know that there is being baptized in the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and I believe that that's different than water baptism. But in Scripture, uh, you may have grown up in a church, or maybe you've heard this before, but there are uh, some groups out there that believe that there are seven sacraments that the church is supposed to uphold or the church is supposed to hold to. And I don't see that either. What I see in scriptures, I see that there's really only two sacraments that we find in scripture. One of them is communion 
And the other one is water baptism. Those are really the only two commands that we see in Scripture. We're to partake of communion until the day that we're in heaven with the Lord. We'll continue to do that in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. It's, it's what the church has done for the last 2,000 years. And we will continue to do it until we are with the Lord, until we partake of that communion with him. But we also have water baptism. And water baptism is another, we'll use the word sacrament. I don't even like the word. But the word sacrament, actually, if you were to look it up in a dictionary, this is how it's defined. It's a visible sign of an inward grace. I like that. It's a visible sign to everyone that is here, those that are getting water baptized today. It's a visible sign to them of what has happened inside. And that's what's important. Baptism has been defined this way. People say it's an outward sign of an inward change. The problem is that people get that mixed up. They, 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 they don't quite understand what baptism really is. Some people think it's, it actually washes away your sin. Some people think it's, a, it's something that you do that brings about that other element of your salvation. And I don't see that in Scripture. But those of us here today are going to be witnesses this is what I see baptism and how I see it, how I see it played out in the church, is that you're all witnesses of those that are being water baptized. And everyone that is being water baptized has said, at least to me, and hopefully to the parents that are having their children baptized today, or their young ones, I should say, that they know and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ lives in them, that they're born again, that they're saved, however you want to put it, but they know that they've accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. That goes for adult, and that goes for the young ones. Remember when John the Baptist was out baptizing in the Jordan River, and he was preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven, it was at hand, and the people were coming from all around the area, and they were coming out to John to be water baptized. And we know that they came into the water confessing their sin. And then John then would probably, he may have asked them, they may have confessed their sin, they may have said they believed in this coming Messiah. Remember that when John was baptizing, Jesus had not yet died on the cross. That hadn't happened yet. And so the baptism of John was a different kind of baptism than what we're doing here today. It was a baptism unto repentance. And they would literally confess their sin. John would baptize them there in the water. But they acknowledged that their Messiah was coming. And many of them had not even yet, the Messiah had not even yet been revealed. But their faith was looking ahead for the Messiah. For us as New Testament Christians, we look back to the cross and when the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so water baptism is an outward sign of what has happened inside of us. And that's why we get water baptized. When Jesus came on the scene and he was baptized by John there in the Jordan, Jesus did not come onto the scene confessing his sin. 
Jesus came onto the scene for a purpose that he was going to be a, it was going to be a sign that he in fact was the coming one, the Messiah that was prophesied to come. And John baptized Jesus there that day. And we know that Jesus, we're told that he went down into the water to John. And then coming up out of the water, which tells me in the way it's worded in Scripture that Jesus was dipped. He was dunked. He was immersed in water, put completely under by John the Baptist. And when he came up, we're told that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, came down upon the Lord. And it really marked him out on that day. This is the one. This is the coming one, the Messiah of Israel is here. And so Jesus himself, as an example, he himself was water baptized. After the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which would have been about three and a half years later, Jesus went to the cross. He died on the, uh, on the cross for man's sin. They took him off of that cross. They placed him inside of a tomb and he was there for three days. Just like the scriptures foretold that was going to happen. And then he rose from the dead. That's the gospel message. That, that is what, as believers now, we look back to that gospel, to that cross, to what Christ accomplished. And then we get water baptized. And it's really a picture of what Christ did there on the cross. If you turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6 we can see what Paul says about baptism. In chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes this. What shall we say then? He's asking a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The reason why Paul asks that question is everything that he said before that verse. He talked about how we've been justified and made right in the eyes of God by simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And he made us right. He forgave us of all of our sin. And he gave us the power over sin. So the the question arises, what shall we do? Shall we sin that grace may abound? In other words, does the grace of God, even when I sin, does it make God even look better? Because his grace just continues to flow over my sin. Paul says to that question, he says, certainly not. Don't have that kind of thinking that you've given your life to Christ and then he just continues, but that we should just say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me of all of my sin. And even your grace and your blood continues to cleanse me from sin, but Lord, that I wouldn't take that for granted. How shall we that are, have died to sin? If you're a born-again Christian this morning then you should see yourself as being dead to sin. You've died to sin. That it no longer has its grasp upon your life. You have the ability to be able to say no to sin. Isn't that a, isn't that a victory? I mean, just think it. You have, like you didn't have before, the ability to say no to sin. That's the victory that was won at the cross. Paul goes on to say, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? This is identification. This is ourselves as believers identifying with what Christ did there on the cross. 
that he died for our sin. We're identifying with that death and the death, what that brought to us was victory over sin. He says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, Paul says in Corinthians 5, 7, that you became this new creation in Christ. Former things have passed away, all things become new. Does that mean we're perfect? No. That just means that we are this new, we have a new quality of living. We have a new ability to walk in victory, to be able to walk and to say no to sin and to be able to see our lives by the power of God's spirit and the work of his spirit in our life, to see sin begin to fall away from our lives, to have victory over sin. It's incredible. What Christ has done. Baptism is identifying with that. It's it's identifying with Christ. We could almost say like this baptismal up here is like a grave. We're all going to be walking into the grave today. And we're going to put them under. We're going to raise them up. It's identifying with Christ. We, um, We also have some examples for us in scripture over this issue of baptism because as I share there are some people that say well you know what I was sprinkled when I was a baby does that mean I need to get water baptized again my question to a person like that is when were you saved when did you give your life to Jesus Christ because if you gave your life to Christ at some other point in life later on down the road after you were sprinkled, then I would say if you want to follow the order of what Scripture says, then you always first believe, and then you're water baptized. You never see it off. You never see that order reversed in Scripture. You don't find that. And so I'm of the mindset that if Jesus tells me I need to first believe, and that's what I, that's what I believe. That's what I do. And that's what I would teach here. We know that we have lots of examples of this throughout Scripture. And one of my, well, actually one of my favorite stories on evangelism is out of Acts chapter 8. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts chapter 8, we're going to read about Philip. Philip in Scripture is the only one that is referred to as an evangelist. Philip the evangelist. And Philip was fulfilling the Great Commission. Like all the other uh, disciples that became apostles and the Lord sent them out after his resurrection, just before he ascended up into heaven, he told his disciples, and he tells all of us this morning, that all authority has been given to me, speaking of himself, in heaven and on earth, And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That end of the age includes you and I. We're we're disciples of Jesus Christ. We're followers of Christ. 
We're commanded by the Lord to go out and to make disciples. We're commanded in Scripture not just to make disciples, but to also baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're also supposed to teach them everything that the Lord has taught you. That's discipleship. That's what we're called to do as a church. But I love Acts chapter 8. Especially when it, when, it, when it comes to this evangelism and when it comes to water baptism. I think it's just a beautiful picture. Remember that in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the leaders in the early church, he was martyred for his faith. Chapters that the church hadn't been going that long. And persecution was already coming. And Stephen, he stood up one day for his faith. He made a proclamation before the religious leaders in his day. And it cost him his life. He was martyred for his faith. They stoned him. And then we see right after Stephen being martyred for his faith, we see that the early church was beginning to experience great persecution. Uh, meaning that uh, the, the church was having an impact. The church was beginning to go out everywhere. They were actually being spread through persecution. The Lord was actually using persecution as a means and a way to take the church and get them out of their comfort zone and get them out of their places where they're used to and get them out into the places where they would begin to share the gospel. And we're told that they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Nothing's changed. The church today should be doing the same thing. And many times the Lord wants to shake us up, to compel us to get out of our comfort zone. To get to that place where, Lord, at times I'm fearful about sharing my... I'm fearful about opening my mouth, starting a conversation. But Lord, let me realize that you have given me the power to be a witness. Let me take a step of faith. Let me step out onto that water, so to speak, and see that you won't use me. I have found in my own life... Out of everything that I've ever done for the Lord, that sharing my faith and the opportunity that God gives me to open my mouth for him and seeing somebody come to Christ is the greatest thing that ever happens in my life, to lead somebody to Christ. God wants to use each and every one of us here. The days that we're living, it's time. We need to be bold about our faith, be willing to open our mouth, Get out of our comfort zone. We see that in our story here in Acts chapter 8 of Philip the Evangelist. We're told that after the church was spread, that Philip had a calling by the Lord and he was led down to the city of Samaria. This is where the Samaritans were. These were the Hellenistic Jews, half Jew and half Gentile. The Jews themselves thought, you know what? Samaritans have no part in God. They didn't even recognize them. Jews didn't like Samaritans. And here's Philip being called to go preach the gospel in Samaria to the, to the Samaritans. And we're told that 
when Philip went into this city, and this was even an eye-opener for him, that when he had shared the gospel, we're told that, that many believed. He preached about the kingdom, and, and, and it we're told in verse 12, it says that he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and both men and women were baptized. What we also see in scriptures that when people got saved, I think that probably the longest period of time that you see is just like a few days. People believed and then they got baptized. They didn't wait. And I don't know how many of you, I mean, maybe there's some others that are here today that have been Christians for a long time and you've never been water baptized. You think, well, I, you know, I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't like getting wet. I don't like it. whatever it might be. You know what I mean? But you've never been water baptized. You know what I say is that you need to be. It's a command. The Lord has commanded us to, to be baptized. And what we see in scriptures, they would go out and preach the gospel and they would baptize them. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter gave that message, there was a baptismal area there off of the Temple Mount. They know where that is today. These pools that were there, these, uh, that were there, that they believe that was an area where those 3,000 plus people that received Christ, he went down and I believe there was a huge baptism going on. There in Jerusalem, during that feast, and Peter preaching that message, and they were water baptized. But always keep in mind, and that we see that in verse 12 here, that they first believed, and then they were baptized. Uh, they didn't get sprinkled, they didn't get baptized, and then come to know Christ later on in life. That's not how it, we see it in Scripture. Just think about how exciting this was for Philip as he saw these many people in Samaria getting saved and then also baptized. Actually taking them through that whole discipleship thing. Probably sitting down and seeing discipleship being worked out. Now they're getting water baptized. Discipleship going on with them. The other apostles actually came along to see what was happening in Samaria. Incredible. It was an incredible work of God. And God was showing them that, you know what, he has a plan even for the Samaritans. And later it would be known, and even for the Gentiles. Sometimes within churches, amongst Christians, we, we, we sometimes might think, you know, what value is there in one person? What, what value does God place upon one individual life? I know about the 3,000 plus in Jerusalem. I know about the many people in Samaria that gave their life. I know about the big things that go on out there. But what about the one individual? The one person that doesn't know Christ? What worth is that to God? We know that God led Noah and his sons to build an ark. Spent a hundred years doing it. And when he destroyed this earth by flood, there was only eight that God saved. God delivered Lot and his family from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness and the sin that was in that city. He says, I'm going to bring judgment upon that city and I'm going to destroy it. But he delivered before he did that Lot and his family. God allowed pain and suffering and death throughout all these years, throughout church history. 
He's, he's allowed that so that other people can get saved. Did you know that? That, that when people get martyred, I believe that even in that, God has a purpose. It's believed that possibly Stephen's death as Paul, the apostle Paul stood there and held the coats of those that were throwing the stones. That it may, that may have been the instrument that God used to tip Paul over the edge to him coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and throwing all of his religion out the door. We often hear it said that Jesus would have gone to the cross if it were for one person. And I believe that the love of our Lord towards one soul is that great. That's for everyone that's here in this room. My prayer is that every single one that is here this morning knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know where you're going when you die. It's the biggest question that any person could ever ask. Where are you going to go when you die? And if you don't know that, the answer's right here. It's right here. You just simply need to believe that Jesus Christ is your only hope of salvation. You need to put your faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, that it was sufficient to pay the price for your sin, that he has forgiven you, that he was buried, that he rose again, and you put your faith and confidence and trust in Jesus Christ in that, and he'll save you. And you invite him to come and live inside of you, and you become born again by his Holy Spirit. He takes your dead spirit and he makes you alive by his Holy Spirit. He places his spirit within you. And we read in Romans that if that same spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, he will also give life to your body by his spirit that dwells in you. That's the hope that we all have. Those that are saved, those that know the Lord. But God is now going to use Philip to take the gospel out to one man. He's going to leave this area of Samaria where maybe everything was really happening. A lot going on here. People getting saved. Discipleship's going on. They're baptizing people. And he's going to take him out of that and he's going to take him out into a desert road for one man. That tells me something about our Lord. We see that through Scripture. Uh, Lydia, the woman at the riverside, sending Paul out there, and the Lord had already prepared her heart. One soul, and then her family gets saved. The Philippian jailer, and then his whole family gets saved. God cares about one. One individual soul. But God wants to use you. He wants to use me uh, to, to lead that person to Christ. And I could ask us all that question this morning. Have you ever had an opportunity to lead somebody to Christ? Where you've actually prayed, where you've shared the gospel, whether you prayed with them to receive the Lord? Has that ever happened? And if it hasn't happened, I can assure you that God never wants to give us a command to go out into the world and preach the gospel unless he intends on doing something through it. He wants to use you. It's not like that's just for the evangelist. That's for each one of us. If you have the truth or the knowledge of the gospel in you, 
then you have everything that you need to go out and open your mouth for Jesus Christ. If you just know that simple gospel, that's all you need. And then we just need to say, God, give me the boldness to open my mouth and share with people what I do know. I don't know everything. I don't have the whole Bible memorized. I don't know all you, but this is what I do know. And this is how God has changed my life. And I can share that with you, and he can do the same in you. And God will use it. I see in our text this morning three words that I want to bring out. One is the word obedience. We're commanded to go out and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Obedience. I also see in our text here the word zeal. It's not in the text, but I see the word zeal. And I also see the word knowledge in our text this morning. Let's look at our Bibles in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. This, I believe, is the word obedience. This is God's leading. We see Philip being drawn away from Samaria out to this desert road. And we read in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert, or we could say this is a desert road. So he arose and he went. Doesn't that sound really simple? When God says, or the angel of the Lord says to Philip, Arise and go towards the south. Go out to this desert. Doesn't that sound real simple? It's just like, okay, simple instructions. The Lord has said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's already given the same command to us. But then we know that Philip, he rose and he went. We, we read that he arose and he went. Verse 27, that's all it says. Obedience. He just, he just simply responded. But when I read that, I, I always ask myself the question when I read it, the angel of the Lord, what did all that in a real practical way look like? What was he experiencing there, Philip? As he's there in Samaria and being led out to this desert road and the, the spirit of the Lord speaking, and that sounds real specific, doesn't it? And what's being said here. Have you ever heard a voice come from heaven and speak something into your ear? I mean, have you ever actually heard an audible voice come down and say, go left or go right, do this or do that? I have never heard myself an audible voice. I've never heard that. But I can tell you this, I have heard very clearly God's Holy Spirit on many, many occasions in my life. God is very capable of speaking to us by his Holy Spirit. How did this look? It says that it was an angel of the Lord. Was it an angel that actually approached Philip? Did he just sense in his spirit that maybe the Lord was leading him to do this? It doesn't tell us. It just tells us that the angel of the Lord spoke. However that looked, we know that Philip responded. And he arose and he went. He did exactly what he was told to do. In verse 26, 
we see it again. That he says, uh, the angel says to Philip, he says, arise and go towards the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. It's like a second part of what's being said to him. More specifically, I want you to go along this road which goes from Jerusalem. Now, there were people there in Jerusalem for the yearly feast. This eunuch that we're going to read about was there in Jerusalem for that feast. And he was heading back home. This is what's so interesting to me. I want you to put yourself and your life into life situations as you go about your daily business of going to work and doing what you do on a daily basis. Do you really see that God is directing your steps? Specifically, for one soul, for one individual that you might have an encounter with, is God able to do that in your life the same way? I believe that he is. He wants to direct your steps. I remember one time going out witnessing door to door. And I walked down this, uh, I was in an apartment complex. And I was walking down the, the, uh, between the garages uh, in this apartment complex. And I walked down, looked down the side. I saw this guy sitting over there fixing an inner tube on a bicycle tire. Sitting on his front porch of his apartment there. And I kept walking. I was actually out witnessing, but I was already done and I was already heading back. And I felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart, you need to go back and talk with that guy. So I turned around, I had somebody with me, I turned around, I went back, and then I began to dialogue with this guy as he sat there on his front porch. And that led to an opportunity for me to pray with this man, for this man to invite me into his house and bring his wife out, and for me to sit there and pray with them. And I really sensed that God was leading me to do that. And I didn't hear some audible voice come from heaven and say, I want you to go back, but I did hear him. And I heard him loud and clear. And I saw the fruit of what God did. And I've seen that many, many times in different situations in my life. I know God wants to lead and direct us that way. We know that Abraham himself, that he obeyed when God called him to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, just obedience. God leading him and then going. I think that's the way we need to be as as Christians. God, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your leading in my life. Yes, I have to work. I have to do my work. I have to do. But God, let me see the bigger picture about life. It's not all about me just bringing the paycheck home. And it's not all about me just going to school or to do the, you know. But God, you have something more. There's something of even greater value that you want to do in my life. Verse 27 says, so he arose and he went. And then look what it says. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, and he was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I want you to get this picture in your mind. Here's Philip going out on this desert road, being told by the angel of the Lord to do so. 
And when he gets out there at a distance, he sees this chariot going across the open road out there, dust coming up probably behind it. This wasn't one of those war chariots where you stand up in it and the guy's flying down the road to to battle. This was probably a four-wheeled cart with a covering over it for shade. This man was of importance. He was on his way back to Egypt. He was actually heading back home. He's sitting in that cart, that chariot, and he has a scroll open. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And you know what's incredible to me about this story and what we can glean from this is that God knew this. God knew that this man on this day at this feast was going to be going home on this road at this time and that Philip was going to be in Samaria. And then the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go join yourself to that chariot. Is God in the details or not? Does God have perfect timing for all of these things? I think he does. That's why if you live and walk and believe that way, then you'll go about your day thinking, what does God have for me today? It's important to live that way. Then we read in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. Very specific. I mean, he heard it. Whatever it was, was it impressed upon? He just, he heard from the Lord and the Lord says, go. Go near and overtake or join the chariot. And then we see Philip take off into a run. He actually goes off into a run. He saw the opportunity. How many of us, even this last week, missed an opportunity? I, we maybe all have. I have to believe that God has opportunities around us all the time. Missed opportunities. We've all been in that place where we thought, you know, I should have said something. I knew that the Lord was kind of prompting me to, you know, and I didn't open my mouth. I didn't say anything. I let it go. Missed opportunities. You know what God will do? He'll bring somebody around because when there's a hungry soul out there that wants to hear, God's going to meet that need. Whether he uses me or uses somebody else, but God will meet that need. Go near and overtake the chariot. We need to be ready. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart, believers, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready. That's, that's the point. Be ready. I think that... Philip, the evangelist here, appeared to be ready. He was willing, he was ready, but he was also zealous. He was zealous. Uh, Look what it says in verse 30. So Philip ran to him. doesn't say that he he saw this opportunity, he just kind of, you know, just made his way out there. He took off into a run. 
Get that picture in your mind. That to me tells me he knew that there was something out there that God had for him. He was zealous. He took off into a run. And then when he gets out to this chariot and he's running alongside probably the chariot like this, he's hearing, he's not only seeing, but he's hearing the eunuch up in that chariot reading from the prophet Isaiah. And that perfect timing... And then the Holy Spirit, I believe, gives Philip one of these Holy Spirit one-liners. You ever had one of those? Where all of a sudden the Lord gives you just a word to say to somebody in a moment. All of a sudden it starts a conversation. All of a sudden now you're talking to them about the Lord and you're going, that wasn't me. The Lord just gave me something to say to that person that just struck their attention. And all of a sudden now I'm here witnessing to them and talking to them about the Lord. Pretty incredible the way the Lord can do that. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to speak in the moment you need them. You just need to be obedient to me and trust in me and that I will give you the words to speak. Here's Philip running out to him, hearing him reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord giving him this one-liner. Do you understand what you're reading? He's, he's talking to the guy sitting up in the chariot. And the eunuch says to Philip, he says, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asks Philip to actually come up into the chariot and sit next to him and tell him. That's one of those times that if somebody, it'd be like you out and about doing your business and you started a conversation with somebody about the Lord and they realize you're a Christian trying to witness to them and they go, you know what, I was just thinking about that today. I just had my thoughts about, you know, what would happen to me if I were to die today and all of a sudden you come along and now you're talking to me about the Lord. Do you know when somebody's hungry like that, God's going to send believers to them. And then you find yourself there talking to them about the Lord. And, 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 and you realize, you know what, this was, a, this was a God thing. I didn't plan it. It came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, I am, I'm here witnessing to this person. God did that. But I, I, I love this picture because here's, here's Philip running out to him. And when, God, when he gets out there, God gives him the word to speak. And then he invites him up. And then he goes up into the chariot and begins to talk with him from the scripture. The place in the scripture where he was reading was the perfect place for him to be reading. For Philip to actually begin to share the gospel from it. He was reading Isaiah 53 verse 7 and 8. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his, hum- in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is, is taken from the earth. Isaiah 53. Now, if you were in that same position, would you be able to take what I just read there and be able to share the gospel with somebody? Take them through and tell them about the coming Messiah, the one that was going to come. And here he is using the word of God to share right from the scriptures to this eunuch. And after he shares with him, and it doesn't tell us the whole dialogue, 
But it just gets right to the point and it says, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Who's he speaking of? Well, Philip, first off, he had to have a knowledge of what he was reading himself. If you know the simple gospel of the message, that's all you need to know. But know it. You need to know the gospel. Have a dialogue with yourself. You know, what is the good news of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection? And how would you explain it to somebody so that when you're done sharing with them, they go, I get it. I understand what you just said to me. We don't want to be confusing. We want to be able to explain so that the people understand. And then we see, look what Philip does in verse 35, and we'll close with this. Then Philip opened his mouth. That's another act of obedience. Philip opened his mouth and he began at this scripture and he preached Jesus to him. From Isaiah 53. He didn't have the whole New Testament. He didn't have all the Bible that he was carrying with him. He didn't have a handful of tracts. He didn't have all the, you know, everything. He just simply knew. And he began to share. And he opened his mouth and he began at that scripture and he preached Jesus to him. Well, I believe that this eunuch that was hungering to know truth. He'd been in Jerusalem, we read, to worship. He'd heard about the Jews that go there once a year and they worship their God. And he said, I want to go there too. And he goes to Jerusalem. He's not, he doesn't know the Messiah. He doesn't know of, of him. But he's on his way back, pondering. He probably picked up a scroll when he was there. He's reading Isaiah. He's on his way back. He's hungering and wanting to know. And here the Lord brings Philip along to meet that need because the Lord cares about one soul, one eunuch. And he met that need. So then Philip opens his mouth and he begins at this scripture. He preaches to him Jesus. And now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? What what, what would keep me? Why would that eunuch say that? That eunuch would have seen other followers of Christ. He would have seen other people being water baptized. That would have not been some unknown thing. As a matter of fact, everyone that began to follow after Christ, they were water baptized. That's what he saw, what he knew, and that's why he would have asked, Philip, what keeps me from being water baptized? Then Philip said, look at your Bibles, verse 37, and I'll only give a disclaimer if you have an NIV. If you have an NIV translation, then you're not going to see the verse I'm reading. (laughs) I always have to bring that up because sometimes I've read that and I go, that's not my Bible. Verse 37 says this. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. That's, that's, uh, That's what I'm talking about. If you believe with all your heart, you need to be saved first. The only prerequisite for you to be water baptized is that you need to believe. 
If you believe what I just shared with you about Jesus Christ, then you can be saved, but you can also then be water baptized. And then the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what Philip wanted to hear. That's what brought about, you know, okay, all right, all right. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm convinced you just shared with me out of Isaiah 53. I believe. What hinders me from being baptized? And so Philip, we're told in verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Here it is again. This wasn't a a place that he was getting sprinkled. This was a place that he went down into this body of water and he baptized him. Now when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Astus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Pretty incredible story. But when I read this, I think for myself and for all of us this morning, it's a reminder to me that God wants to use you. He wants to use me. Uh, Maybe you'll be the person that's going to lead that last person to Christ. And if you are, then please be obedient. Because when that last person receives Christ, we're going home to be with the Lord. God is only being patient and waiting right now because there's more people in this world that have not come to that saving knowledge of him. We have, I believe, six people that are getting water baptized this morning. I'm excited. To me, this is an exciting time for us as a church. I know that some of them are younger and they've been led to the Lord either here at church or by the parents. They've accepted Christ. We have Mike that is here with us. And he had an encounter with Joe that had an opportunity to lead him to Christ. We have Mary that is a part of this church that wants to be water baptized herself. These are all individual stories of what God has done and what God wants to do. Father, I thank you uh, for this time in your word. I thank you for this church. I pray that you would bless, Father, uh, this baptism, uh, those that are uh, stepping forward in obedience to you, that you would bless them, that you would pour out your spirit upon them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.